pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today is show number 377, or ASHA course number 0377, and we are talking about how we prioritize goals for speech intelligibility in toddlers. Now, this is actually the one, two, three, four, fifth show in this series. I cannot believe it, but it's the fifth show in this series, and all this information is from my therapy manual, Functional Phonology, a language-based approach for treating speech intelligibility problems in very young children. And so today we're finally to the point, we've gotten through all the background information, but we're finally to the point that we are ready to talk about what we actually work on. And there are actually six priority patterns that we target when children are very young and very, very difficult to understand. Now, this isn't just my idea. <laughs> this is research-based, so it's evidence-based practice, and it's based on a developmental model, meaning what patterns come in first. And let me also address this for those of you who are not speech-language pathologists, and because now the podcasts are on YouTube, so many more people, so many more parents have access and therapists from other fields who didn't know about Teach Me to Talk or who might not necessarily be looking for a speech pathologist for guidance with this. You're just out there looking for, hey, how can I get my kid to talk plainer? How can I understand him more? Or as an OT or a, even a PT or a developmental interventionist or a teacher, you're thinking, how can I get some tips? What should I work on? Well, I need some guidance. So these are the six patterns that come in first. Now, we are not going to target individual speech sounds with children unless they just have a couple of sounds that are out, out of place that we really need to address and then that that's what's really going on with their speech. With toddlers and young preschoolers who are highly unintelligible, it's usually not just a sound or two. It, there are lots of things, lots of sounds, but if you look at it even more closely, it's not just that there are sounds that are in error, they're actually missing patterns or they're not uh, maturing in their speech development as quickly as other children their same age. And so when you listen to them, it's so hard to understand them. And so perhaps that's you today looking for this information. So this is actually, again, the fifth show in, in this series. If you want to figure out, uh, can't, should I even be working on this? Is this even a problem? Go back and listen to show number 373, five factors that indicate significant speech intelligibility problems in toddlers. And then there are guidelines for deciding, is this kid a candidate for working on this articulation or intelligibility problem or not? You can find that out in show 374. And then we had a couple of shows that are how-to shows, principles for designing effective speech therapy sessions with toddlers. That was show number 375 and then show number 376 last show how to cue speech sounds in toddlers so now we're ready to put all that information together and talk about specifically what are the patterns that are most important what are the patterns that make a most that make the most impact with children who are difficult to understand and so we're going to be looking at syllableness vowel usage initial consonant usage, variety of syllable shapes, 
uh, can a child switch the vowel from syllable to syllable and then finally final consonants? And these are all patterns, again, that emerge by the time a child is three. And they usually start to emerge between that 12-month developmental level and that 36-month developmental level. So these are the ones that are most important. And what we're going to do in this show is let me give you an overview of those six patterns because thankfully, not every toddler needs to work on every pattern, but you do need to be aware because if, let, let's, let's take this example. If you are a speech pathologist and let's say that you are switching populations, let's say that you have worked with older school-aged children and now you're picking up some children in an early intervention program and you're thinking, I can't work on the same kinds of things that with a toddler that I do with a school-aged child, and you are exactly right. And you may listen to him and immediately identify final consonants are missing. And so you try to work on those final consonants, and then you are stuck because he's not making any progress. It's usually because he's not developmentally ready, and a lot of times he hasn't mastered the preceding patterns. And so, again, you're working on something that's too hard. And if you have listened to any, any of my shows or taken a live course or a course on DVD or read anything at Teach Me to Talk, you know one of my catchphrases is back up. So when something's not working, we have to back up. And so when, and work on something that's easier so that that child can, can proceed to the point where you thought you were going to be. But a lot of times this information really fills in the gap. And you, and again, you're stuck with a kid because you're not working on something that should have come first. And when you fill in those little places that are missing, then it's much easier for you to move forward and make progress on your goals. So let's get started with talking about or just reviewing each of these six patterns. And then over the next subsequent shows, we're going to take about half a show each on these six patterns so that you can really understand what it is that you're working on, why you're working on it, and I'll go ahead and get you started with a list of target words, and these will all be in facilitative context. Now, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> that means that it will be easier for the child to produce whatever pattern it is that you are trying to get him to produce using this combination of sounds. And again, it's all based on theory. It's all evidence-based practice based on what years and years and years of research, decades of research, has taught us about speech sound development in young children. So I won't be able to talk about every single thing and every single point, but you can get that book and uh, get a full list of not only target words, but activities that'll help you work on these things in your therapy sessions if you are a speech language pathologist or another professional or at home if you're a parent. And let me just give one more word of caution here for parents. Speech intelligibility is not something that instinctively parents know how to work on. And so you may be doing things at home, and you should be doing things at home, and I'm, I'm not saying that, but with highly unintelligible children, you are going to need some help. So let me just encourage you to get your child evaluated by a licensed and certified speech-language pathologist who specializes in young children. You know, this is like medicine. It's a niche field. You would never go to a cardiologist if you were pregnant and needed an OBGYN. And the same is true for SLPs. Now, there are some generalists, like there are general practitioners, but when you were working with a high or have a highly unintelligible toddler you really need somebody to look at your child who does this all day every day so that they are super super aware 
And again, understand the differences between working with older children versus children in this earliest developmental period. So as a parent, if you can get access for your child and see an SLP to help you help your child, please do that because I love the information that, that I'm presenting here and I'm so blessed and so thankful to God every single day that I get to do this at Teach Me to Talk. But if you can have somebody lay eyes on your child and help you and talk to you about the specifics, that's always a good idea. All right, so let's move forward here. Let's talk about syllableness. That's the very first pattern that we work on. And why do we work on that? Because it is so important, not only from a speech like speech perspective, meaning you've got to include every part in a word, but also from a language perspective. Because when a child cannot combine syllables, his language is going to be affected because he can never get to that phrase level. And so this is a really important pattern that we want children mastering very, very early. It's very, very important. All right, so syllableness. So how do we calculate syllables? How do we know if a child is using the correct number of syllables in a word? Well, it's pretty common sense. And if you'll think back to when you learned to read in kindergarten, first or second grade, you probably had a teacher that had you clapping the syllables in a word. Cat, one syllable. Baseball, two syllables basketball three syllables and so as a therapist when you start to talk to parents about this have them do that kind of exercise and sometimes we get so caught up in being professional that we actually overlook the simplest kinds of explanations that we could give parents and then we might spend oh gosh 15 minutes trying to explain something that if we had just gone back to everyday language and an everyday explanation at the beginning a parent would have understood so that's how I always start to talk about syllables it's just that basic let's clap it out and let's decide and so that that's what we do and now let me say this it is very common for young children to omit or leave off an unstressed syllable in a longer multisyllabic word, like refrigerator. I bet you even say fridge at home. You may not say the whole refrigerator. Or a word like spaghetti. A kid might call it getty, right? Or some toddlers reduce it even more. And so that's not really what we're talking about here because a, a word... Um, that has three or four syllables children are not going to be able to do that at the very beginning when they are especially when there's been they there's a history of late talking they it's been more difficult for them to acquire language or words in the first place so we kind of expect those problems but it is completely normal for children to be doing two two syllable words even some three syllable words once they've mastered those these earlier easier patterns and so that's what we're looking at and when children don't include when when they say like f or elmo it's hard to understand them in the context of you know how many other things in the room could be egg could be an egg they could be saying elephant anything that starts with that short e so it's super super important that before we look at anything else we help a child get the number of syllables right and so it's a uh, really 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 
the first pattern that we're going to look at. And so how do we do this? Well, we just listen carefully to how a child says words. It's easier to think about this too as a parent if you do some uh, record keeping, if you do some documentation. So if you're concerned about this, just think about how does my child say water? Does he say ah for water? Well, you might have thought, well, he's leaving off some of the sounds. Really, it's a syllable problem. He's, he's not including that other syllable. So sit down and really listen to your child talk today and listen to how he says words and write it down. And don't write it down how you hear it. If he says ah for water, don't write down W-A-T-E-R write down A <laughs> so that you you can start to identify, oh yes, he's missing the first consonant and yes, we'll get to that. That's an initial consonant and that's the third pattern we're going to be talking about. But even more importantly, he doesn't have that syllable. And so again, that's why it's so important to keep this list of priorities like we talked about before. So you're not working on a later pattern when you should be working on an earlier one. If you listen to one of my last shows, I gave the example with math. You know, we would never teach a kid algebra until he understood how to multiply and divide. And then we would never teach him how to multiply and divide until he understood how to add and subtract. And you can't add and subtract until you have just those uh, assigning the value of a number that they understand is one is this many and two is this many. And then you can't even do that until they can rote count and recognize numbers. So this is the same kind of process. It's very, very sequential. And when you get ahead of yourself, you're not going to make progress. So that's why it's so important for parents, again, to work with a therapist and on your own to be really conscientious as you were thinking about, you know, what do I address and how do I address it in what order? All right, so that was the first pattern. That was syllableness. The second pattern, you know, once we think, oh, okay, my kid can do syllables. The child I'm working with can do syllables. He says mama, he says bye-bye, he says cookie, or he might even say uh-uh for cookie. That's okay, even though he's leaving off or those initial consonants, and even though he's used the same vowel, uh-uh for cookie, he still has syllables. So if you are working with the child and you think, oh gosh, I have 10 or so words, or 20 words, or 50 words, or 100 words that have more than one syllable. Excellent. You are ready to move on. If you don't, I would encourage you to listen to the rest of the show, get the information, but at the same time, know, okay, syllableness is my starting point. That's where I want to go with this child. And if you have a child that has a lot of syllable, one syllable words, you know, even a 200 word vocabulary, and you're wondering why can't he do phrases? Why isn't his language expanding? It's probably because he can't sequence and put those syllables together. And again, with children with a very specific di speech diagnosis called apraxia, it's really, really difficult for them to get that second syllable because they have a hard time, uh, again, putting those, combining those sounds and then getting those together. And so that's all, this is also a pattern that we work on with children who might need that in-between step to get them to phrases. And hopefully I can get through this first part of this overview and we'll start to talk about syllables today, syllableness, so that I can give you tips for treating that because Again, so many children in my early intervention practice these last 25 years have needed that pattern. And when we worked on that pattern, not only did speech improve, but language improved too. So 
very very important all right second pattern vowels is the child using correct vowel sounds in words now vowels include what again go back to your early elementary school experiences parents and teachers usually think about vowels as long and short vowels and actually there are many more vowel sounds than that in english but let's try to think about it since we're here in this audience for both parents and professionals on youtube vowel sounds a e i o u and sometimes y and those are called monothongs when there's one vowel sound at a time when we combine vowel sounds with vowel combinations uh, like o y and toy that's called a diphthong because you actually have two vowel sounds there and then there are additional vowel sounds um, with r like vowels that we won't get into because that those aren't developmentally appropriate for toddlers but just kind of know about that i wanted to mention that to you too so children with typically developing speech sounds use most vowels correctly by age two so if you have a child who's highly unintelligible closer to three because remember that's when we really really start to focus on this at the exclusion of other goals this is when this is really really our priority with therapy we wait till children are are closer to that third birthday and again if you need help with that go back and listen to show number 374 with guidelines for determining developmental readiness for that uh, but just know that if you're if you have a kid who's nearly three and is struggling with intelligibility due to vowels this is something that you are really really going to have to target now if you are my age and a speech-language pathologist I'm 53 can't believe it <laughs> it was going fast <laughs> but we didn't learn too much about correcting vowel sounds when we were in grad school it was all about consonants and I have a daughter who is beginning her second year of grad school and they're learning more about vowels than we did but still not enough to probably make a big difference and so we're going to talk about again in next show with the treatment strategies that we use for vowels but for today we're just deciding is a child struggling with vowel sounds? Is he producing the correct vowel sound in a word? And why, why is this important? Because vowels are the most important factor for intelligibility. When a kid gets the vowels wrong, oh, nearly impossible to figure out without a lot of contextual cues, without him pointing or showing you, or you just being smart enough, and or you know that child well enough to know what he's asking for. Without the correct vowel, you almost have nothing to go on with uh, deciding what a child is actually asking you for. Another important part about vowels is that it really, um, lets people know what kind of native speaker you are and so it's not hard for you to figure out that i'm from the southern a southern state in the united states right <laughs> because regionally we produce our vowels differently uh, english in america sounds different than english in england or english in australia or wherever you happen to be and so again vowels really carry lots and lots of intelligibility information and so it's an important factor and we want to be sure that children are pronouncing the
the correct vowel sounds and words or get at least getting closer. But at this point, we're just looking at is the vowel sound correct or incorrect. So do the same thing that I recommended about syllables. Take some notes today, tomorrow, if you're watching this late at night, when you're listening to a child speak. If he's talking about his teeth and he says ta, he has a vowel problem because he's not saying e for teeth. If he's pronouncing uh, we talked that example I gave before, cookie, and he says, uh, uh, he's not including that second vowel sound correctly. Now, it could be that he can't shift his vowel from syllable to syllable, and we'll get to that. That's a pattern coming up. But again, especially in those one-syllable words, for mama, if he says, you know, uh, mama, He's, he's, unless you live in a part of the country that that's how you say mama and everybody says it that way, that is going to be a vowel error and something that you'll need to address and think about. And you can make a big impact with kids just by working on the vowel sounds. And again, this is not, uh, with toddlers, we don't do tons and tons of lots of physical manipulation. We can, we can do some physical cues. And if you watched... Uh, show number 376, How to Cue Speech Sounds in Toddlers. We talked about those physical cues. That would be the help them part of tell him, show him, help him, or the tactile cues. But uh, right now at this point, we're just listening. Is this vowel correct or incorrect? And we're going to talk about, too, the mainstream or the very first line of defense with vowels and with all of these patterns, too. And, and just at this point, though, I just want you listening and thinking about it. All right. I'm always trying to jump ahead to treatment. <laughs> we're not there yet. Right now we're just in identification and talking about the patterns. Okay, so third pattern, third priority pattern that we're going to address is initial consonants. So that means the beginning consonant sound in the word. And so our question that we ask here is, is your child using a variety of consonant sounds at the beginning of the word? Now we're not gonna worry about sounds in the middle or sounds at the end yet. This is that very next piece of importance when we are looking at intelligibility. So, the beyond syllables, does he get the right number of syllables in the word? And then beyond the vowels, the next thing we look at is the beginning sound in the word. So, let's let me give you let me give you a test. Pop quiz time here. What's the initial consonant in milk? What is it? It's an M, right? What's the initial consonant in hot? It's an H, right? Okay, so you've got that. We're looking at those beginning sounds. Let me give you the age-appropriate criteria here. Remember we said for syllableness, that comes in by the time, that early, early. Kids are doing that at 12 months old, 12 to 18 months old. The guideline here for, and really even less than that, younger babies babble in syllables, right? And so that that's the first pattern that comes in. And remember we talked about vowels, and children have mastered their vowel sounds by the time they're two. With initial consonants, this pattern, we want children to be using at least three to four different initial consonants by age two, and, and know that that's still a pretty generous guideline because research tells us that children with typically developing speech sounds use at least six, so three to six different consonant sounds by 18 months and then six to eight different consonant sounds by 24 months. But the real red flag guideline is he needs at least three to four, and, and most children are, are have even more. They have those six to eight different consonant sounds. And the, the 
research-based guideline for this is that children will have bilabials, so P, B, and M, and then alveolar sounds, T, D, and N, and then some pharyngeal sounds, K and G, and again, some kids don't get that to cl until closer to three, but most typically developing children have those. And then W, which is another lip sound, and H is a glottal sound. So those are the consonants that kids will have, they'll pick from there, six to eight different sounds from those sounds, P, B, M, T, D, N, H, W, K, and G. All right, so intelligibility improves greatly when a kid gets the first sound right in a word. And so let's talk about two a different, different kinds of errors that we can hear here, here, here. <laughs> so with consonants, you can have an error that a speech pathologist refers to as an omission or a deletion, meaning that it's completely absent. So for a word like hot, a kid would say ot. Or for a word like milk, a kid would say ilk. And again, we're not focusing on any other sound in the word. It would be probably unusual for a kid to, to leave off an M and include the K. We're not there yet. Just kind of think about it in this context. So does he leave it off? So is it an omission or deletion? Or a kid could have a substitution, and that's where a child uses a different sound for the sound that should be there. So if a kid said, uh, kilk for milk, there's a problem with that initial consonant. If he says for the word me, he says b for me or knee for me, that's a problem with the initial consonant. There's a substitution there. And again, if you are a speech pathologist and you're looking at this from a phonological perspective, you're going to sit there and think about the different processes that could be affected by that. Uh, again, because this is a show that reaches hundreds of thousands of people. We're not getting lots of backgrounds. Most of us aren't therapists who are going to be listening to the show. We're not getting into all of that. We're just really talking about with parents here with initial consonants and, and what that is and not really trying to muddy the waters even more by talking about all these other phonological processes that could be present. There's a, a third type of error here that we could hear with consonant sounds that is it's called a distortion, which really sounds more like a slur. And so this would be common in children with muscle weakness. So the speech diagnosis for that is dysarthria. So we might hear that with children with cerebral palsy. We might hear that with children who have Down syndrome or any other kind of neurological issue there. So that's, that's another kind of dis, another disorder that would uh, affect a child's speech intelligibility. And as a parent, you already know if your child has that kind of medical diagnosis. And you may be concerned about the specific speech diagnosis that would go with that. And you can certainly talk with your therapist about that. Now, lots of us in early intervention don't do a lot of diagnostic stuff. And I shouldn't say us because I really do. If it looks like apraxia or if I know it's dysarthria at two, I'm calling it that. But a lot of therapists disagree with that. And they'll stick with the term like speech delay or speech language delay when we really could be more specific. And I, I found that that really happens regionally as well or based on your program. Therapists who work in early intervention programs, some states have just gone crazy and just do not want you to provide any kind of specific diagnosis whatsoever. They just want you calling every kid delayed. I 
get it, I guess. But you know, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, I think we should call it a duck if we know that it's a duck. <laughs> so there may be some difference there. And if your therapist has that different philosophical opinion or the program that they work for is different, I get it. That's not that big of a deal. But there are some really specific diagnoses that we can go ahead and talk about with parents when we know what's going on with the child, especially when they have a medical diagnosis. So just wanted to throw that out there too. All right, so to decide if a child is having difficulty with initial consonants, what do you do? You do the same thing that you did with syllables and with vowels. You listen and you write down exactly how he said the word. So if he says ah for ball, that's an initial consonant that he's missing. If he says uh for book, he's missing that initial consonant. So you'll know that and you can keep, keep track of that and uh, look at that. And again, um, well, let's not get into that. Let's just leave it there with initial consonants. All right, fourth pattern that we're looking at, variety of syllable shapes. Is a child using syllables of different structures in words. Now this is where we, we get a little bit trickier and this is where it's a little trickier for parents. And if you're a parent and I lose you with this point, don't worry about it. Your therapist can help you. But therapists need to think about this. We, and, and we know how to, uh, when we're doing phonetic transcription, we know about this, but let me just give the simplest explanation, especially if you're a professional but not a speech language pathologist. Consonants, those are the letters of the alphabet that are not A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y. So when we're, when we're thinking about this for the child, let's say that he's, let's take the word da-da. So for the word da-da, if we were writing this, looking at a syllable shape, we would write C for that D, V for the A for da-da, and then another C for da-da, and another V for the A. I hope I said that right, C, V, C, V for da-da. So that's how, so a word like no, that would be CV. A word like up would be VC because we have a vowel and then a consonant. A word like hot, what would that be? CVC, right? And then a word like open. Well, we have the O, which is a vowel, and the P, which is a consonant, and then we have the E for open, E is a vowel and then N is a consonant. So if a kid says mama up, no, hot and open and it says produces all of those words correctly, it gets every sound in the right place, he has five different syllable shapes. And so children should use several different syllable shapes. Actually, let me give you the, the milestone here. Toddlers with typically developing speech skills will use the four to five different syllable shapes when they're two, so certainly by three. So this is a really important uh, pattern for us to be looking at as early intervention and pediatric speech language pathologist because this also significantly affects intelligibility. And so uh, let me say another part here, CVC, the consonant vowel consonant is the most common pattern noted in English. So when we we don't hear that with children. And again, some of you are saying, but Laura, you just said final consonants don't come till later. Yeah, 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 I get it. And that's true. But you just have to know at this point that we want children really using as many different patterns as we can. And when we look at 
what are the most common patterns. The reason we do that is because we want to make the most significant positive impact we can with intelligibility. And so CVC, again, just throwing it out there, is the most common pattern noted in English. So look at that and let me just say, I don't, I don't want to constantly plug the book here, but functional phonology, if you feel lost, get the book because it will help you understand this. And even as a parent, if you're a mom so committed at home, and again, you're my favorite kind of mom to talk to and work with, and you're the reason I did founded Teach Me to Talk in 2008, you're out there looking for more information, get that resource because that will really help you as you are trying to decipher some of this at home and even help you be able to have these conversations with your therapist. So what do you do to figure out if a child is using a variety of syllable shapes? Same thing you're doing here in pattern four as you did in the first three patterns. Write down how a child says the word, carefully listen, and then go back and assign your C's and your V's, and then you'll have to divide it into syllables. And I'm not sure I said this when we were talking about syllables, but uh, to have a syllable, a word needs a vowel. So the vowels, the number of vowel sounds in a word really determine the syllables, unless it's a diphthong, which is an exception to that. Think about a word like boy. It, it has how many vowel sounds? Really one, the oi is the vowel sound there, even though it's a diphthong. Uh, but think about that, um, so that you divide the words into syllables too, after you've done your whole CV assignment, and just see how many different syllable shapes he has. A toddler, if he only has two syllable shapes, that's a problem, and you're going to need to work on this goal or this pattern as well. Fifth pattern here is switching vowels from syllable to syllable, and we've already talked about it with the word cookie or cracker. A lot of kids will say crack a uh, because a uh is a really common substitution for an R for a toddler. But can the child produce words with different vowel sounds? And so listen, so if a kid says mama, not a different vowel sound in that word, but if he says mommy, he, he took the ah and the e, he switched the vowel sound with the second syllable, and that's more complex. Lots of toddlers with speech intelligibility problems cannot do that yet. So you've got to listen carefully for those two and three syllable words that a child says and see if he's switching it. See if he changes it from syllable to syllable. All right, the last pattern here is final consonants. Is a child using ending consonant sounds in words? And it's the same, uh, variety is really, really important. And remember that we talked about those uh, age appropriate or developmentally appropriate consonants by 36 months, same list for ending consonant sounds with a little bit of variation here. We still had our lip sounds, P, B, and M and our middle of the mouth sounds, our alveolar sounds, T, D, and N, Ks and Gs, the pharyngeals at the back. But here we add S and ing or NG, and those are the sounds that children by 36 months that they have typically developing speech systems have mastered. The difference there is H and W, and you really don't pronounce an H and W at the ends of words in, in English, and so, um, that, that's, that's where the differentiation is between these lists. So by age three, typically developing children do use at least a few 
different final consonant sounds. But this is a pattern that comes last. If you've listened to my podcast series that I did earlier uh, about this same material, I don't work on final consonant sounds with toddlers until they are talking in phrases and until they've mastered the previous five patterns. So for me, uh, someone who specializes in kids that are in birth of four, maybe five, if there are some significant delays. But for the most part, I don't work with children that I get to final consonants even when they're two or perhaps three because the kids that I see all have much bigger needs. But just so you know, it really, really is an important pattern, again, because we talked about the prevalence of that uh, consonant vowel consonant syllable shape and how it's the most popular pattern in English. So it's a super, super important pattern for speech intelligibility. And you can still have errors, the same kinds of uh, system classifications that we were using before. Is it an omission or deletion, meaning the sound's completely there, or is it a substitution? I don't think I said this before, but substitutions are less serious or less significant because at least the child is marking the sound. So for a kid who says cack for cat, that's really a less serious error because he's, he's got some um, other processes going on, but at the same time, he's at least marked the sound there. So that's what you want to think about. And again, just listen to how a, a child says a word. If he says dog and even says dod, that's okay. It, but if he says da for dog, he has a final consonant deletion. It's not there. If he says bu for book, it's not there. So think about that too. Let me also say that if there's a later developing sound at the end of the word like ball, he's more likely not to use or to leave off or substitute that consonant there because he should not have mastered a final L yet. And again, this is a little bit technical for parents, but certainly as therapists, we should be explaining that to parents so that they understand and say, oh, you know, even typically developing kids are going to substitute or leave that sound off because he can't do an L yet. And he's only two. We wouldn't expect him to be able to produce an L consistently yet. So that's an overview of those six patterns. And let's just run through them one more time. Syllables are the right number of syllables or parts to a word. Then we look at their vowel sounds, that A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y. Uh, short and long sounds, and plus those other little, little uh, more technical terms there. Initial consonants, the first consonant sound in a word. Variety of syllable shapes. Does he say words that have uh, more than one syllable and then begin with a vowel, begin with a consonant, uh, have two parts, all, the, all those kinds of different shapes that we have there. Can he switch his vowels from syllable to syllable? And then finally, final consonant. So those are the patterns that we're going to be dealing with. So let's go ahead and move to the first pattern with what we work on. So let's talk about syllables. Now, before we do that, let me give you a couple of other little caveats or a couple of little um, heads up statements about how I work with uh, speech intelligibility in toddlers. I use what's, this is a developmental model that we talked about earlier, meaning these are the patterns that are supposed to come in early and they're supposed to generally follow this sequence. But children with delayed or disordered speech development may be all over the place. They may be including some final consonants, but they don't really have syllables yet, or they may be including final consonants, but don't have 
initial consonants, and again, that's a speech disorder. It's atypical, so we will see some variability here, but for the most part, with kids with just a delay, this will be the this will be the order or the sequence that we're going to think about it. It's a developmental model, and these are how patterns typically emerge in children who are not experiencing any kind of abnormality or individualist individualistic quirk or whatever you want to call it. No delay or disorder there. All right, and also each pattern we already talked about is based on the effect on intelligibility. So. How much of an impact does it make? So that's why you, you think about it in this way, but again, there are always exceptions, and sometimes there are exceptions based on those big diagnoses that we already talked about. And I think our, for our final show in this series, I will go ahead and do some teaching on apraxia, dysarthria, and phonological processes, and then just your garden variety speech delay, because those are the four diagnostic labels that we give kids who have highly unintelligible speech but for right now I just want you to think about that in terms of what do we work on first and again if you're a parent if your kid has syllableness already you may not need this section of the show <laughs> but it may be good information because you'll go ahead and pick up some tips that you might be able to use in another context. Let me say another thing here. I work from a cycles approach, meaning that you don't work on every pattern until a child is 100% correct all the time, no matter where he is, what he's saying, what he's doing. That's, that's too high a standard for anybody, right? <laughs> and so with a cycles approach, you work on these patterns for for me, it might be a few sessions with a kid, and then I'll think, okay, he's getting it. He's getting it. I'm going to move on. There are other programs that are more formal than the approach that I use, like uh, Dr. Hodson, Barbara Hodson, who pioneered phonological, phonological processing, uh, really has some more specific criteria to use with this. But as somebody who works with itty-bitty kids at the very beginning of their process with learning speech and language. I really don't. So I just work on it until I, I feel like I want a kid to have some consistency with me, but he doesn't have to be 100% because we want to give his time, his system time to develop and mature. And we don't want to waste or, or spend three or four extra sessions on this when we could go on and work on another pattern. And while we're working on this new pattern, he, he's, his body, his brain, his system is still working toward mastery on that other pattern. And we don't have to use our therapy time to work on it. Mom and dad are working on it at home. He's working on it because he's trying it. And at that point, we just give him cues. This is more of a facilitative approach, which means that we introduce it, we work on it, we teach mom and dad about it. We stay with it for a little while, and then we move on and work on a different pattern. And if you need more information about that, you can look at Dr. Hodson's work, and you can also, again, get functional phonology because there's a little bit of an explanation in there. All right, so in functional phonology, too, I want to tell you how this is organized because this is the same organizational pattern or structure that we'll be using for to talk about each of these patterns over the next few shows. We're going to work on what uh, we've already talked about, the definition, what the pattern is, we're, and then we're going to move on to treatment tips for syllables, and then you'll have some activities and some word lists. And I hope I get to that in every show. 
but and and I want to talk about why we do some of the things that we do but again to get the most complete guide for you if you're using this at home or as your primary therapy approach please take a look at the book all right so four syllableness we already talked about when children should work on this pattern it's when they consistently delete syllables and two or three syllable words so they say O for open or like we said before they'll say i for cracker so that's when we know or oh for cracker they're getting maybe that ending part and leaving off the beginning part and i also don't work on syllableness with children until they really have that basic vocabulary, which would be 35 to 50 words. And I want kids to be well on their way to combining words into phrases before I worry too much about speech intelligibility. And if you wanna hear the rationale for that, go back and listen to show number 374 so you can hear all about that. I don't wanna to be too repetitive here, but let me just say, there are some children, especially children, who have motor planning issues. That's the reason that their speech is intelligible, and it will also be the reason that their language isn't moving along because they cannot combine uh, syllables, and so they can't get two words to make two-word phrases. So for some kids, you're going to need to work on this just from a language perspective as well. And, and that's why I end up working on syllableness a lot with kids, especially, again, kids that w for whom suspected childhood apraxia of speech is a real possibility on our radar. They're, they're doing some other things too. And remember, as we were talking about each of the patterns, that there are specific diagnoses that uh, will lead to specific problems. And it's not always as black and white that if a child always has this problem, it's always this diagnosis. It's not quite that defined, but for some things it's kind of close. So with syllableness, it could be a problem with motor planning, meaning apraxia is a diagnosis. It could be that there's really a language problem. They can't combine two different ideas yet and so they've got a syllableness problem but it's it's broader than that because there's a language problem and and that's based on a, their cognition they can't join ideas yet so they have a difficulty with that kids with dysarthria may have some difficulty getting syllableness because they don't have the breath support to get anything more beyond more than one syllable so again it could be some different uh, reasons here kids with phone uh, severe Phonological disorder could also have difficulty with syllableness because just the significance or the severity of their issue. And so there could be different diagnoses associated with this. And so remember that we're just gonna listen for how a child says the word. And if we're not, if we're just mostly hearing monosyllabic utterances, so one syllable at a time, this is what we're going to work on. So let me give you, in this last 15 minutes remaining of the show, some great initial treatment tips for syllableness. Now remember, these are for toddlers. So kids who are two, so almost three and three. And let me just say two, you can even use this with kids who are younger than that, but you are not going to wear it out. And so even if you are doing some cueing to get syllableness, even with say a 24 month old, if he really loves baseball and he really loves basketball and he really loves soccer and he talks about these things all day long, it's just saying, and he's real smart. He's, you know, again, he's really sharp. 
and he's trying to say he's saying ball for everything and he's saying sa for soccer or ah for a soccer ball or he's doing you know just ba for baseball i would probably even this younger because he's so smart and because i can say where's the soccer ball where's the baseball where's the basketball I probably would go ahead and work on some syllableness here, but not to the point that I withhold the ball so that he doesn't get it unless he says it right. Not anything that mean-spirited, but just enough of an introduction with these kids that are younger than close, younger than two and a half to three. Go ahead and start to do it, but think about it more in terms of exposure or facilitative rather than we have to get accuracy here. And so that's how I explained it to parents. I saw a great set of parents yesterday, and we were talking about this. And mom was saying, not about syllableness, we were working on um, initial con an initial consonant and M for more. And we were saying, you know, she was saying, you know, something like i'm not going to cue him yet because i've been listening to your shows and he's 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 just turned two he's he turned two in may and it's july there's a big difference between working on it again and just cueing it or really you know push helping him helping him along and so i, I don't feel like i can never do this kind of cue if he's not close to 36 months i just mean it's not your main focus of treatment your main focus of treatment for those kids usually is still language. So we still want to hear the words. We want them communicating. We want them using a variety of words. We want to expand their vocabularies. But at the same time, we can go ahead and start to use some of these cues. And if you're not sure what I mean by cues, go back and listen to show 376. That's the previous show, How to Cue Speech Sounds, because you'll get some ideas about verbal cues, visual cues, and tactile cues or help them feel it and that will that will also those we're using those those cues as we proceed through these patterns that's how we do it so we'll be talking about that um, as we go and again what what i my my main thing that i want to say here is these are the most simple most basic easiest strategies for parents to carry over so even if you are a school-based speech pathologist or a clinic-based speech pathologist and you have children come to you and you may not even have very much contact with parents, these are still your very best strategies, not only because it's what's appropriate for these youngest children in this earliest developmental phase, but because these are the strategies that are easiest to teach parents. And so we, don't, we, we do have a level of technicality in sessions that we don't, that parents aren't going to be able to have just because of our levels of expertise here and our training. But at the same time, you don't wanna get so technical that a parent can't ever get it at home because what good is it if a kid can do it for you but can't say it anywhere else so that's why these again are the most basic strategies the easiest to carry over because parents can get it too all right so the first thing the first treatment tip that we have when we are working on syllableness with the child is we begin with words that are easiest to produce the second syllable so words that and this is great when i explain this to parents say i can just see the light bulb go off these are also the words that are most common in a new talker's vocabulary whether he is one and talks on time or whether he is a late talker and we don't hear these words till he's two or three or even 
four or five. These are the same words that he will probably say, even when he starts to pick up words, even if he's older, because these are the easiest and most important and this easiest speech pattern. So this reduplicated syllable, so meaning a word like mama or dada or no-no or bye-bye. The word, the second syllable of the word is the same as the first syllable. And so that makes it easier. The child's not having to switch consonants or switch vowels. He just has to repeat it. And so those are where you start with this. And so I try to take a syllable that a kid already says. So if he says da for dada, I try to go ahead and get dada because he can say da. Now, sometimes the parent will say, well, I thought he was saying dad. And so I don't really want you teaching him to say dada because to me, it sounds like he seems older and I want him saying dad. I don't want him saying dada. Hey, I get it. And if a parent said that to me, I would let it go. But only after I said what we're really working on here is syllableness. And so I want to use something he can already say. And I want to use something that he says frequently. And I know how much he loves you. And I know how close you are to him. And so he's going to have that motivation to say this word and practice this word. And my goal here is not for him to sound like a baby or younger. My goal here is to teach him how to say two-syllable words. And so I want to use a word here that I know we're going to get a lot of practice with. And if dad still says, I don't care, I don't like dad, dad, we'll move on. But you get my point here, right? That we want to take a syllable that a child can already say. And again, if he already says no, you may not want to practice no, no, where he's only saying it that way. But I think it's a great way to start. And it's a great way. It makes a lot of sense to me just from a practical perspective. And I've seen it work over and over and over and over and over and over and over in my 25-year career that if we take a syllable a kid can already do and try to get it duplicated so that we can move towards syllableness, that's, an e that's the easiest place to start. So I wanted to mention that to you. Another really developmentally appropriate uh, word class or sound class here is also animal sounds or play sounds that have more than one part. And so if you can take a, a sound like moo and get, what does the cow say? Moo, moo. What does the horse say? Nay, nay. What does the duck say? Quack, quack. If you can get wolf, wolf for a dog, if you can get some of these single syllables duplicated in that silly novel play-based context, it's going to be a lot easier for you than if you're sitting down trying to do it in a more structured way. And this is how I do this. I mean, I always introduce it in play or in an everyday, everyday routine if you're at home. If we were working on mama instead of ma, and I, this is another thing I say to parents or to mom, I'll say, you know, I, you really like might like ma, but have you, have you been you know, for mama, but have you thought about, you know, mommy? Would you like him to say mommy? This is how we get there. We move to mama and then we get to mommy. And again, you're going to practice mommy when you get to the variety of syllable shapes. I mean, that's, that's every mom's favorite word. We all want to hear that. Uh, but, but that might be something as a therapist, if you have a parent who doesn't really understand. And again, that's a parental preference and they're in charge of their own kids. They, they can, they can, 
they can want that. That's all right. We need to honor that. Uh, but but look at the, in an everyday routine. If you were thinking about how can I work on this, you know, you would call Mama. You would have her hide in another room, and you would call her. Or uh, again, when if if a kid needs help with something, that's when you would practice it. Is in the context when it's meaningful, like we talked about in uh, show number three seventy five. Those seven principles for designing successful speech therapy sessions for toddlers. Is it meaningful? So you want to practice these words and practice these patterns in the context of everyday routines or in the context of something that's uh, play-based. So that's what we do here. And remember, we're still using our same verbal, visual, and tactile cues uh, that we did before. So our first tip again is begin with a, reduplica a word that's reduplicated syllables and with a word that they can already, or a syllable they can already say. Let, and that's the, that's the easiest. And we'll get to this next, um, Let's, let's go ahead and talk about it here. This next tip is analyze a child's existing vocabulary for any words that should be two-syllable words, and you focus on fixing those words before we add any new words. And why is that? Because if he's already trying to say it, there's a need for it, so it's already meaningful, and he's already trying to do at least part of the word. And so, again, you, you want to look for this simplest kinds of constructions. That's why your therapist can be so helpful to you if you're a parent. You want to look for just this, the easiest kinds of things here so that you're, you don't pick a word with a lot of uh, a constant blend there um, or you know a, a constant cluster or anything like that. We want to go with words again that are pretty simple and pretty easy. Now if you have a hard time coming up with words, if you think I don't really get this whole what you're saying about com complexity, words that are complex versus words that are simple. I wish I had a guide. Go to Teach Me to Talk and type in vocabulary list because I have a great download of that, a PDF of the most popular vocabulary words for children in this toddler period. And it's based on what research tells us are the most common words and just based on uh, everyday experiences. And so take a look at that list too, but you want to stick with words that are still simple, even if they're, if they're trying to say it, because you always, it's going to be easier for you to get words that a child is already using or trying. And then when we think about that complexity factor too, that just makes it more likely that a child will be able to um, get syllableness or achieve progress or achieve your goal with this. Now, let me say that there's a technique that we use for this and it's called backward chaining. And so let's say a kid is trying to say a word like open. And you can, and he says, oh, I'm so sorry my dog is so loud. I'm so sorry about that, but let's just keep going. Lucy's still a puppy and she's loud sometimes and she's at work with us today. All right, so a word like open. So with backward chaining, you practice the last syllable first. So let's, let's go back to open, which I think is, oh gosh, one of the most functional words. I work on it with everybody in therapy because I have all my toys in bags and parents, kids are constantly bringing stuff to parents and needing them to open it, whether it's a toy or a door or a cabinet or a, or a bag of snacks, whatever that might happen to be. So open's a great word for that. But with backward chaining, what you do is you practice the end syllable first 
and then you go back and add the first syllable in. So you would practice for open, you would practice, you know, pen, 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 open, and add that in there. A word like bubble, you practice the last syllable first. If he says buh for bubble. Now, if he's if he's a, a super, um, a, a, a kid that I just, well, let me just say this. Except in approximation. So if you're trying to get bubble and he says bubba, hallelujah. <laughs> you made it because your goal is bubble. But if I'm cueing this from strictly uh, just the most correct use of backward chaining, I would cue bull, 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 and then bubble. So he gets it there. But you might do buh. Have him say buh, buh, buh. Now say buh, buh. So you might get it that way. So again, don't get lost in all these exceptions. Don't get lost in saying, well, but, 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 oh, this would be a better example. Don't do all that. Just think about, I'm going to cue the last syllable of the word first, and then I'm going to add that first syllable. That's how we do backward chaining. And this is how we can get words that, again, if you have tried to work on it, and just are getting nowhere, try this little trick. And it really is based on a neurological principle that we learn lots of things, not from the beginning to the end, but we actually learn the end first. So here's the example that I would give you. If I were gonna say to you, my phone number is 299-0458, and that's not my phone number, that's my old phone number, so don't try to call it, okay? <laughs> so 299-0458, you would probably sit there and practice 0458, 0458, 0458, 0458, because you've got the 299 somewhere held in your memory, right? And so again, that neurological principle of backward chaining works so well. And a lot of times I'm surprised. I had a little guy that I saw on Tuesday and he developmentally, he's, we're still at the single word level. I'm just now sort of realizing how much of an issue uh, phonology and articulation is going to be with intelligibility, but I'm just, you know, so excited because he's talking and he's really talking now and we're even getting some phrases but I was trying to get him to say the word candy and he was saying dida and I was happy oh I was so happy that we had two syllables in there because syllableness is, is he didn't do that I mean I've seen the progression him him go to two syllables move to two syllables as we've been working together but it was dida is nowhere near candy is it and so I mean it sounds like he's got sort of got his reverse you know da d would almost be closer than than d da for candy and so i really tried backward chaining with him and he did it he ended up saying more consistently d d for candy but it was better than d da right it was closer and so that's what you can do with backward chaining you may not get it perfect but it's closer it's an approximation and that's that's a good tip too you always accept word approximations because with toddlers, again, just, just getting closer and thinking about intelligibility instead of 100% accuracy is going to be what you want to say or what you want to work for. Now, let me say one more thing about this here. So I said that we always start with words that are that he's already trying to say. Sometimes, especially with kids with apraxia or motor planning issues or suspected apraxia if they're less than three, sometimes we do need to teach them new words because 
sometimes they're all over the place and they never say a word the same way the same time and the same way and they're so inconsistent that it won't matter if you're using an old word or a new word because they're just inconsistent but sometimes kids get really locked into whatever how they've said a word because it's over rehearsed they've said it over and over and over so sometimes you may have to try these patterns if you're not having any luck fixing a word you may have to introduce the pattern in a new word and again that would be an exception and, it, and it's not it's not just with kids with apraxia but you need to think about that if you're having if you're a therapist and you're having a trouble getting a correct production with a, any kind of pattern you might think oh let me try a completely new word and see if i can get it there it could just be that his motor plan is so strong for this word that i'm i'm not going to be able to get this pattern corrected in this well-established word i need to try something new so that might be something else other little strategies here we already talked about for parents getting them to uh, recognize syllables in a word uh, clapping or patting and I do this all the time with children which is a kinesthetic strategy or a, a discussion about syllableness up. Focus on teaching a child functional words, real words, skip the nonsense words. And for a parent, again, you may do some things like we all do. You may be singing the baby shark song every day with the do, 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 do in baby shark. That's great because you are practicing syllableness with that. But when we do a lot of nonsense words as therapists, that traditional articulation approach where we take a consonant and then we pair it with every single vowel we can think of I don't think we should do that for toddlers I think that we should always especially late talking toddlers when vocabulary is an issue we should always be thinking about is this word meaningful and how how can you use it language wise so I wanted to mention that too um, quickly with syllableness how children the children who use monosyllables or single syllables and can't progress language wise what do we do for them to get them over this hump? Well, for lots of these kids, we need to practice one word sequences. And this is the same theory as it was with reduplicated syllables. We have to get the same syllable structure produced multiple times so that they learn how to sequence syllables. So for these kids who just say up and that you really need them to understand syllableness and so that they can get to another word, not necessarily um, two-syllable words yet you're, you're really thinking about this in terms of language you you would for they say up so when you're going up the stairs you would try to get them to say up 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 and practice that in a sequence and again they're getting syllableness they're getting that sequencing piece a quick tip here is to use counting books or even just set out a row of toys let's say you're playing with a little dog set or a vet set that has several different dogs you line up those dogs there and you say what's that tell me what that is and you label dog 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 so that they get in the habit and and are able to get over that proverbial hump of getting that second syllable in there and, you, and instead of counting with a counting book instead of counting babies in the book 
or babies isn't a great example because it's a multisyllabic word, but balls. Let's say you have a counting book with balls. Instead of counting one, two, three, four, five of those balls, have them labeled ball, 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 ball. This strategy is so easy, and it's one that's really, really overlooked, but with toddlers, I have seen it work time and time and time again for kids who seem to be struggling with that sequencing piece. And again, these are primarily children with motor planning issues. So um, look at that. That's a, that's a great way to do it for uh, syllableness. All right, let me give you these earliest word list for syllableness, and these are the words that we talked about in facilitative context are the easiest because the patterns are simplified and the, the constants and vowels are matched to be able to produce um, with more ease or less difficulty than other kinds of words. So the first target word list, bye-bye, mama, dada, no-no, moo-moo, and nay-nay. So those are your first seven key words. I've got great other next list and then expanded options for syllableness and moving on to new words. Those are all sections in functional phonology. And then activity winners to get started. You always want to be sure that you're using things that are fun with toddlers. And I classify all, for all six of these patterns, all of the activities into two categories, moving around activities and sitting down activities. And we talked about in show number 375, the seven principles for designing effective sessions for toddlers, how effective it is if when we have a move, sit, move, sit, move, sit approach with children, because we cannot expect kids to sit down and work on something that's hard for them for extended periods of time. And we know that the evidence-based guideline for attention for a toddler is three to six minutes. So you've got to get up and let him do something else. Even if you are playing with the most fun toy in the world, he needs a break. And you probably do too at some point. So you want to have activities where you're still working on your goals, but where you're moving around and where you're sitting down. And the book does a great job of giving you some of those activity ideas to get started. So what if all these great ideas are not working for you? What are some troubleshooting things you can do? Always back up. So back up to the words on that easiest word list. Uh, shift your focus. If the goal is too hard, if he's getting too frustrated, go back to language and just work on expanding a child's vocabulary. And then pick up the syllableness focus again. And then another thing you can do is use auditory bombardment. That means that you want to give a child focused listening practice where he is doing a quiet activity like coloring or putting together Legos or something where he's sitting in the bathtub even, where he's sitting and listening to you and where you just read him a list of these words. He's not supposed to say it. He's just supposed to, list, supposed to listen to you pronounce the word and read through the word list. And he's internalizing this. So he's hearing you read a list like goldfish, football, hot dog, airplane, dump truck, snowman, baseball. He's hearing that pattern. He's hearing that two-syllable pattern. And there's another list for three-syllable words. And so 
that's not necessary for every toddler, but there's good research behind including that as a strategy in your therapy program too. So to get the listening list and to get the other target word list, be sure to check out Functional Phonology and you can find out uh, more about that in the link below. Or, or you don't even need my book for that. You can Google it and get that information on your own. Okay, so quick cues. Let's summarize. How are we going to get syllableness? We're going to model the two or three syllable word often as we play together. We'll encourage the child to imitate the word as we play. We'll use them withholding to get that pattern established. And so it, we might withhold a little bit so that we, after we know that he or she can do it, so that we get those a little more forced insistence that they use that pattern with us. We use our verbal, visual, and tactile cues. And again, uh, get that going and get uh, the main reason we get syllableness going with children is to improve that intelligibility not only at the word level but so they can make gains in their language as well all right that's all for today's show i'm laura mize pediatric speech language pathologist and thank you so much for joining me for teach me to talk the podcast mm-hmm.